I'm glad he whispers sweet peace and we can trust that peace along life's journey. Wonderful to be here this morning and I'm grateful for the opportunity to fill in for our pastor. We love our preacher and Miss Alita and the family. What a tremendous blessing and encouragement they are to Peggy and I. And we're grateful that God has led us here to the Bible Baptist Church. We'd ask you to continue to pray. We're excited about our MAPS program tomorrow uh, with many of the young folks from the church here. And we're excited about what the Lord's going to do. And we would ask you to continue to pray for that. And we're certainly praying for the purchase of the property up the road. And I know that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we would ask or think. And um, I'm grateful that the Lord has the provision before he leads and guides uh, the man of God. And I'm grateful for all that the Lord has done here uh, this morning. We would ask you to continue to pray for the Rock of Ages Ministries. I'd like to make a very quick announcement. We do have our national conference that is coming up on July the 29th through August the 2nd. That'll be at the 11th Avenue Baptist Church in Dalton. And we would ask you to pray for that meeting, if you would, please. It was a time when all of our missionaries would be coming in from around the country and some from the foreign field. And we would ask you to pray for our families as they'll be traveling and making their way in. Also, uh, the country of Brazil is in uh, turmoil and uproar, uproar this morning. And we have a number of national missionaries that are in that country, and so we'd ask you to pray uh, for the Lord's protection and provision upon them. This morning, if you have your Bible, let's stand without further ado, and we'll turn to the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians. The book of 2 Corinthians in chapter number 4, and while you're standing with the Word of God, I'd like to say that I'm grateful again that the Lord has led us here to the Bible Baptist Church and for the uh, services this morning, and uh, great to have one of my wife's uh, nephew's with her, Josh, uh, this morning, and so we're grateful to have him uh, here this morning. Notice, if you would please, in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. 2 Corinthians 4, chapter uh, 4, verse number 1, Paul says to this writing of the second letter to the church at Corinth, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them." For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our fathers, we bow before you this morning. We love you and we thank you for the opportunity to come in a free nation and open the Bible freely and preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. I would ask you this morning that you will continue to be with our pastor, Mr. Leeton, and the family. Lord, may they experience a time of refreshing and relaxation. Lord, that you would bless him even as he stands to preach this morning. Empower him. And I would ask you if there are those that are sitting under the sound of his voice where he preaches and here this morning and in your churches across our nation and around the globe, there are those that are sitting, listening, that know not Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. I pray that you'll use the scriptures that is, they are preached, and may you convict the heart. And God, may you show the great need of Christ. 
Lord, may they be willing to come to the place of repentance and faith and belief in Christ. We would ask you this morning, if there's one sitting here under the sound of our voice who has never given their heart and their life to Christ, may the Spirit of God use the singing, the testimonies, the reading and preaching of thy word to draw sinners into repentance. We would ask you now this morning that you may empower us as we endeavor to preach thy word. Our Father, we lean upon thee and we ask you to meet the needs of every heart and soul that's represented under the sound of our voice. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In our text, the Apostle Paul is writing his second letter to the church and the believers at Corinth. In his first writing, he closes the book of 1 Corinthians, ex- telling them to examine their uh, selves, whether they are of the faith or not. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, we find in the first 11 uh, chapters of that book that Paul deals with moral issues inside of that church. There were a lot of issues. They were suing each other at the law. They were abusing the Lord's Supper. There were personality conflicts. There were divisions in the church, and Paul spends 11 chapters writing to correct and to discipline those um, missteps in the church. Beginning in chapter number 12 of 1 Corinthians, Paul begins to write, and he uh, deals with the spiritual issues of the church. And then when he closes, he asks them to examine themselves, whether they be of the faith or not. And in 2 Corinthians, when Paul wrote his second letter to this church, he began to give instruction and some accommodation. There were obviously things that they had corrected that were wrong in the church in his first writing. And so now we come to chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, and Paul deals with the subject matter of salvation. Notice, if you would, very briefly, so that I can get to my text this morning without delay. Notice in verse number 1, he says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry... And we have received mercy, uh, we faint not. And so we find that Paul is addressing in the beginning of his writings in the opening of chapter 4, he addresses the believers in the church at Corinth. And he speaks of the ministry, a ministry, uh, if we were to take time this morning, a ministry of reconciliation, a ministry of proclamation. And then he begins to deal with the scriptures and he says that we have received mercy and only those that have received the mercy and the grace of God could be called a child of God. And then in verse number two he says, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. And so he speaks of repentance and those that have uh, turned their life around and they have forsaken uh, their old ways and not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully. And then the word but is in the scripture, but by manifestation of the truth. And so Paul goes from the negative state of of those that were uh, the life they had before they got saved and converted to Christ and their deceitfulness and their dishonesty. And now he says, but, and thank God for that little transition word, but, because I used to be a sinner, but the grace of God saved me and found me. I used to be deceitful, but thank God for the glorious gospel of Christ. I used to be uh, lost and on my way to hell without Christ, but thank God for salvation and the shed blood of Christ on Calvary. And so he says, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And notice the little transition word again, but if our gospel be hid, 
Notice in the opening verses in verse 1 and 2, Paul is addressing the believers at Corinth, but now he transitions to those that are lost without Christ. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. I want to speak to you this morning for just a few brief moments on that subject matter, lost. What does it mean to be lost in the Bible? What does the word mean? What is the definition? What is uh, the Apostle Paul trying to emphasize and get across to the believers at Corinth and those that are members of the church? I'll not take time to give all of the history of the city of Corinth, but I believe that I need to take a moment and lay a little brief foundation before we get into the message so you can understand the culture and the people that the Apostle Paul is writing to. There in the city of Corinth, it was an international trade center. And literally people from all around the world would uh, come and they would bring their goods and their wares and they would trade. And it was known as an international trade center. And we also find that it was economically stable. And there are a lot of religions and isms and schisms that had gathered from various nations from around the world, various tongues or languages, earthly languages, that had gathered in the city of Corinth. And as a result of that, there was all types of religious worship and religious symbolists in the city of Corinth. And we find that as a result of that, just over a hill overlooking the city of Corinth, there was what's known as the Temple of Aphrodite. And I, because of the mixed congregation this morning and some of the youth that are here, I'll not be able to get into some of the details of the uh, type of worship and the ungodliness that would uh, transpire in that temple. But I would say to you that it was a very ungodly uh, type of worship and form of religion. And so Paul is writing to those that had evidently crept into the church that were unconverted to Christ. They had a religious knowledge, but they did not have salvation. They had a semblance of God, but they had no possession of God. And so now we find in verse number 4, he says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. So my question this morning to you is this. What does it mean to be lost? As we examine our scripture, there are four or five things I would like to briefly bring to our attention. Notice the Bible says, and I'll give you one more foundation to the text and we'll get into our message. In whom the God of this world, and we know the God of this world is Satan. And he says, the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. And so notice with me, if you would, in the context of our scripture, Notice the description of the lost. It is people that have been deceived. They have been, their eyes have been blinded. Their spiritual eyes, their heart and their mind, their intellect has been blinded. They have been deceived by the God of this world. I remember when I was a young man, I was born in Chatsworth, Georgia, and my uh, family on the other side, My dad had a small uh, place there right beside my grandpa's. Uh, They called it a farm. It was just a few acres, and he would uh, plow, and he had his little garden. And I don't know how old I was, but I remember I was uh, just old enough to stand, and I'd watch my uh, grandpa and my papa uh, plow, and he didn't believe in tractors. He had an old mule that he plowed with. 
And I remember he had pulled the mule out of the barn and he would uh, come out and he would hitch him to the plow. And I remember the first time uh, that he brought the old mule out of the uh, barn and he hooked him up and he started down the row. And I noticed there were some big black leather things that he had put over the face of that old mule. And after he made his round and he came back, I said to him, I said, uh, Papa, uh, what is that on that mule that you've got? He said, boy, those are blinders. And I didn't know in my youth and my ignorance at that point, but I said to him, I said, well, Pa, why do you want to blind the old mule for? He laughed. He said, well, son, that's not blinders to blind him where he can't see. He said, literally what they'll do, he said, that blinder, it sticks out over the mule's face, and uh, he said, a mule has a tendency to look to the right and he'll plow to the right, or look to the left and he'll plow to the left. And when you put those blinders on them, they stick out and they allow that mule to see straight ahead and it allows them to plow a straight row. May I say to you, the Bible says that the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. And so what God is teaching us through the Apostle Paul's writing is simply this that Satan has put blinders on the side of the souls and the, of the soul and the heart of sinners and has blinded them from seeing the truth. He has them on a path of life and he keeps them on that path lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ through his image of God should shine unto them. So we find that there is deception. The Bible said unto him that... Um, Knoweth to do good and doeth it not unto him it is sin. And I say to you that a man who is lost has been deceived. He has been deceived into thinking that uh, maybe works would save him. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And anyone who tells you that you can get to heaven by your good works is deceptive and deceiving and blinding your soul from the truth of the gospel of Christ. You may be sitting here this morning and you may have been told that baptism will save you. May I say to you, my friend, this morning that baptism never has saved anyone, never will save anyone, here, now, or in the future. Someone says, well, didn't uh, the Scripture say that they need to be baptized for the remission of sin? And yet the Bible does say that. But may I say to you and give this analogy for the word and the definition and the context of that Scripture? How many of you have ever been to a post office and seen the wanted posters on the side there in the post office? Let me see your hand. Now let me ask you something. When you look at the 10 most wanted uh, by the FBI or you see those local posters and bulletins, flyers in the post office and they say wanted for embezzlement, does that mean they're wanting someone to act embezzlement for them or on their behalf? Does it mean if they want someone for murder or terrorist, a terror, uh, for committing terrorism, when they say wanted for terrorism, does it mean that they want someone to commit terrorism or they're wanted because they have committed terrorism and terroristic acts? You see, when the Bible says that they should be baptized for the remission of sin. It's not saying that they need to be baptized uh, in order to get their sins forgiven, the remission of sin. He is simply saying that they are to be baptized because they have had their sins remitted through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. 
And so baptism won't save you. Baptism will not get you into heaven. Someone may be sitting here this morning and say church membership will get you to heaven. May I say to you, if you've been told that, you've been told a bill of goods. Church membership is good. And I believe that we ought to be members of a church. We ought to be faithful to the church. Christ loved the church, Ephesians said, and gave himself for it. But my friend, may I ask you this morning, who was it died on the cross of Calvary and shed their blood for our sins? I've got news for you this morning, and I'm a Baptist by conviction, but it wasn't the Baptist church. It wasn't the Pentecostal church. It wasn't the Church of God church. It wasn't the Catholic church or any other Presbyterian or Mormon or Methodist and all the hundreds of isms and schisms that exist. My friend, it was Jesus Christ. Christ loved the church and he gave himself for the church. And there's only two things in the Bible that Christ loves so much, God loves so much, he gave himself for. One is the church in Ephesians 5. Secondly, for sinners, humanity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So may I say to you this morning, you have been sold a bill of goods if you believe that salvation is by any means method or by any individual outside Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection on the, uh, there uh, from the grave and his shed blood on Calvary. There is no other way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. This morning, if you... I profess to be saved by any means outside of Christ. I got news for you this morning. You didn't get saved. You say, preacher, can you say that confidently? I can say it under the authority of God's eternal word. Salvation is through Christ and Christ alone. They've been sold a bill of goods by deception. So the Bible says here, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. I remember at the Eastern Oregon Correctional Institution, EOCI, and outside of Pendleton, Oregon, many years ago. We're in revival services, and that night, a preacher, in fact, our pastor at the time had preached, and that night, the little uh, chapel, I say the little chapel, it's about, it seat comfortably about 300 people. Everett's seat was packed. There were people standing down the uh, halls, and there were uh, people in the back and on the side walls. And that night, the invitation was given And literally, the front was literally flooded with men that were weeping and getting right with God. That night, it ended up that there were 70 men that come to know Christ as her personal Savior who called out on God for forgiveness and received Him into their hearts. But there was a man that said to my right on the front row, no reflection on TJ and these young men on the front row. This man literally, he sat there as many of them were standing and praying during the invitation. He shook and he trembled under the invitation and the Holy Spirit of God was convicting. And I said to one of our men, Brother Gene Blackburn, he's in heaven now. But I said to Brother Blackburn, I said, Brother Blackburn, would you go talk to that gentleman? And I normally won't target anyone during an invitation because I feel if God didn't do it, then it's no use in us trying. But I have an overwhelming burden for this man, this uh, particular service. And so I asked Brother Blackburn, I said, would you go talk to that man and see what's going on? He was weeping and sobbing uncontrollably. Brother Blackburn went over and he said to him, he said, sir, he said, is there uh, something going on with you this morning? 
Is there something in your heart you need to get right with God? And the man bowed his head and began to weep and sob uncontrollably. He said uh, to Mr. Blackburn when he gained his composure, he said, I'd give everything I own if I could go down front and like these other men, give my heart and life to Jesus Christ. And Brother Blackburn said to him, then why don't you? And he bowed his head and he said, when I was in a city jail, before I was sentenced, I had a preacher come by. And the preacher asked me what I was in prison for. And I told him I was in for taking another human life. I was in for murder. He said, the man looked at me and said to me, he says, well, he said, God don't save murderers. He can't save you. You're doomed for hell. You have no hope. He said, preacher, I'd give everything in my life I could do like these others and be saved. And Brother Blackburn said, that preacher was deceptive. He sold you a lie. Brother Blackburn said, if I could take my Bible and show you how murderers could be saved and how Jesus died on the cross and how his blood will wash and cleanse their sins as much as you will anyone, would you allow me to do that? And the guy got a ray of hope and glean in his eye and he said, does the Bible say that? Brother Blackburn said, it sure does. And he took his Bible to the Old Testament and showed him how Moses had murdered an Egyptian and buried him in a shallow grave. And yet God used him as one of the greatest deliverers of the Bible of all time. And yet he took him over to the New Testament and showed him how the Apostle Paul partook in the murder of the first New Testament deacon in the uh, church and, and uh, showed him how God had converted him and saved him and used him. The man began to cry. He said, that preacher in the jail told me a lie, didn't he? And Brother Blackburn said, he sure did. That man said, can I go get saved and give my life to Jesus? That morning or that evening, he walked down the aisle, bowed on his knees and prayed and trusted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and the devil's blindness were lifted and he saw the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, whose image of God. I say to you this morning, you may have been sold a bill of goods. You may have been deceived by this world. You may have been deceived by the God of this world. My friend, I say to you this morning, there's only one way to heaven, and it's through Jesus Christ, his death, burial, resurrection, and the shed blood of Christ on Calvary. And anything else is deceptive. I remember, I've had them over the years tell me that their religious church heritage and their religion they received and their good deeds... The Bible said, God said, there'll be many stand before me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in thy name. Do you know just being a preacher won't get you to heaven? We've got to be saved like everybody else. Lord, Lord, we prophesied in thy name. We cast out devils in thy name. So what? We've done many wonderful works in thy name. So what? It's good morally. Thank God for all the good deeds. Somebody said, preacher, I have religion. Religion won't get you to heaven either this morning. It's only mentioned five times in the Bible. And the definition of religion is found in the book of James where he says, pure religion and undefiled faith before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from this world. You want religion? Take care of widows. Take care of orphans. Those are good things. Live moral. 
Keep yourself unspotted from this world. But my friend, having religion, taking care of widows and orphans and doing good deeds in life will not get you to heaven. That verse and nowhere in the Bible is religion used in conjunction with salvation or taking one to heaven. You can have all the religion you want. Religion is good. There's just one problem with it. It won't get you to heaven. I remember some years ago when I was a chaplain at the Wyoming State Penitentiary. I stood and preached and filled in for our pastor in the pulpit, much like we're doing for Pastor Gravely here this morning. And I remember that morning I preached, if I can share this with you quickly. I preached that morning and during the invitation, a man stood up in the back and started moving forward down the aisle. And I thought he was coming to get saved, to get right with God. I'd never seen him before. He got right in front of the pulpit and the platform and he lifted his finger and he said, I don't believe the words you preached this morning. And he said, furthermore, I'll never be back to this church. And in my, I didn't say it verbally, but in my heart and mind, I thought with that kind of an attitude, I hope you don't come back to this church anymore. I don't know what a preacher would say, but I know what I think. He turned and walked out the door, and I thought, thank God that's over. You're talking about killing an invitation. It killed a debtor in a door now. I stood to preach that night. I opened my Bible, read my text, and gave the message. And all I can say, it was a barn burner message. I was getting started and right into my text and starting to preach, and the doors of the church swung open, and there walked that man. And I thought if I'd known he was a coming, I might have been tempted humanly to change my message. But I preached what God had given to me and laid on my heart. And I found out the reason he got mad a little later. And I'm for education. Don't misunderstand me this morning. But the man was right on the verge of getting his doctorate's degree. He was a high school principal at our local school. And I'd made the statement in the morning message... I don't care how educated you are. If you die without Jesus Christ, your education will not get you into heaven. You'll die and split hell wide open without Christ in the heart. And I didn't know who the man was. I didn't even know he was about to get his doctor's degree. But I made that statement and he got mad. I preached that night and he came forward and done the same thing he did that morning. He stood in front and he said, I don't believe a word you preached. I don't agree with it. In fact, I believe it's heresy. It's cultic teaching and I'll never be back to this church again. He turned and walked out the back door and I thought, thank God that's over with. Our preacher will be back and he can deal with it later. He wouldn't have it just a few seconds. All of a sudden, the door slung open. He kicked it open, didn't walk in. He walked in. He said, I'm telling you, I don't believe a word of that gospel you preached. He walked out and came back in. He said, furthermore, he said, I'd like to meet with you about that. Right in front of God and everybody in the church. And I said to him, I said, well, Mr. Williams, no reflection on the Williamses that are here this morning. He said, I'll meet you at the village inn on the outskirts of Rollins, Wyoming. Now, if you've ever been through Rollins, Wyoming, it's out in the middle of nowhere. And if you have been through there, you probably got broke down or stranded in a snowstorm. It's right at almost 7,000 feet in altitude. And the interstates are closed more than they're open in the winter. He said, I'll meet you on the outskirts of town at the village inn. At, and I don't remember the time, I believe it was 7 o'clock. And I thought to myself, they don't only open at 7, they open at 8. 
And I said to him, and I started to say, I'll meet you here, but not there. And it seemed like I was impressed in my heart of the Holy Spirit to say, meet with him. And so I said I'd meet with him, and I'm thinking, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to meet him on the back parking lot of the village inn. He's going to shoot me, kill me, leave me for dead, and I won't be found for hours. And I got there that morning and, and talked with him a little bit, and he said to me, he said, tell me about this a gospel that you've been preaching about. He said, I don't believe a word of it. And I said, then why'd you meet with me? He said, because I want to hear it. I've never heard anything so stupid and ignorant and foolish in all of my life. And so I told him how he could be saved and, and what happened, what Jesus did on the cross and why he came and, and so on and so forth. And, and uh, he looked at me and he asked me this question. He said, Mr. Ellis, he said, would you tell me and explain to me, sir, why should I trade my God for your God? Now that's a legitimate question, isn't it? Why should, why should anyone turn to the God of the Bible, the God that saved us? And the Holy Spirit of God gave me clear thought and direction. He had just shared with me a testimony. A friend of his who got him involved in the New Age cult that he was involved with was going north of Rollins toward Casper, Wyoming. She was in a blinding snowstorm, hit black ice, lost control of her car, the car rolled several times. She was catapulted out from the centrifugal force and the car landed on top of her from about the chest down and in a blinding storm, they had just shut the road behind her and in the providence of God, a trucker had gone through before they closed the road and just happened to be able to look over to the side and see her. He stopped and called and was able to get help to the lady. Now my statement is this. While she was laying on the side of the road, she remembered when she was a little girl in her Sunday school class, the Sunday school teacher told her, said, you know, any place, any time, anywhere, if you'll call out on God to save you, he'll hear and answer your prayer. And she's on the side of the road with a car on top of her in a blinding snowstorm in sub-zero weather as she called out on God and asked him to forgive her of her sins and come into her heart and save her. And the ambulances and paramedics got there and she ended up being a quadriplegic, but she lived. And Mike had just shared that testimony before he asked, now why should I trade my God for your God? And I said, Mike, that's a good question. Here's the answer. I said, Mike, why should you trade your God for mine? He said, yeah, why should I? He said, my God gave me a beautiful wife. My God has given me finances. My God has given me a good job, a beautiful home. He said, my God that I serve has done everything for me. Why should I trade my God for yours? And I said, that's a good question. Here's the answer. I said, this lady that was on the side of the road who called out on God while she was saying that is the one who got you involved in your religion, right? He said, yes, it is. I said, okay. I said, Mike, then here's the answer. I said, your God has been good to you. You're right. He gave you a good job, good home, good wife, good family, vehicles, etc. I said, your God's good for you. I said, here's the problem. Your God's only good enough to live by. He's not good enough to die by. He said, what do you mean? He, I said, well, your friend got you involved in this religion and your God was good to you and her as long as you were alive. But when she was on her deathbed, she called out on the God of the Bible that I preached on. I said, Mike, your God's good enough to live by, but your God's not good enough to die by. The tears began to stream down his face. He said, you're right. You're right. I want to get saved and I want to give my life to Christ. I tested him. I, he said, what I need to do? I was testing his sincerity. 
I said, well, Mike, you're going to have to turn your chair around, make an altar out of it, get on your knees and pray right here in this restaurant. Before I could finish my statement, he had turned his chair around, got on his knees, on his hands, had his hands clapped. He looked at me and said, what now, preacher? And then about that time, a lot of the uh, uh, faculty walked in and teachers of the school, and I thought, there ain't no way he's going to pray now. They sat down at the table right beside us. He looked at me and said, are you going to tell me how to get saved or not? He prayed right there and trusted Jesus Christ as the Savior. And I'm saying to you, my friend, you say, why should I trade my God for the God of the Bible? Your God may be good to live by, but is he good enough to die by? They'd been deceived. The Bible said, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believed not. Secondly, look with me, if you would, quickly in our text. The Bible said, The less the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. And I'm not going to take time to go through all of this this morning for the sake of time. But let me just say to you, a lost person, they've been deceived. Secondly, a lost person, they have no sense of direction. Have you ever asked someone, do you know for sure if you died, you'd go to heaven? And I know in here you'd probably get for the most part, I know for a fact, because I've trusted Jesus Christ and shed blood on Calvary. And that's the way it ought to be. A child of God ought to be definitive on their salvation. But have you ever asked someone, do you know for sure if you died, you'd go to heaven and receive this response? Well, I don't know. I hope so. I think so. Well, you can't really know until you get to heaven, do you, preacher? And yet the Bible gives us clear uh, illustrations on how we can know for sure that Christ is our Savior. There was a man in, in Proverbs 27 and 1, and Solomon said this, Boast not thyself for tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. There's a rich young man in the book, Gospel of Luke chapter 12, verse 16 through 21 who looked out over his fields, God had blessed him wonderfully and magnificently, and he looked out over his barns and his fields and the grain, and he said, So thou hast many goods laid up for thyself these many years. And he said, I'll tear down the old barns and build bigger barns, and I'll say to my soul, Eat, drink, and be merry. And that night God leaned over the banister of heaven and said, Thou fool, tonight thy soul shall be required of thee, and then who shall these things be? And I thank God for possessions and the things that God's blessed us with. And I'm not a prosperity gospel preacher. I believe God takes care of his own in his own way, in his own time, in his own means. And he gives us not from his treasure, but out of his treasure. Bill Gates is said to be the richest, one of the richest men on the face of the earth. It is, if I remember correctly, uh, he makes an average of $100 per second on average. In fact, it was stated that if he dropped a $100 bill or a few $100 bills, it'd cost him money to stop and pick it up. Wouldn't you like to have that problem? But I say to you this morning that riches and wealth can't get us to heaven. People put a false sense of security in these things. And so we find two things very quickly. Here is a man who has put his security in insecure things. He has put it in his earthly gain, in his earthly uh, business, in his earthly investments. And here is a man who is uncertain. He is assuming he has years left on his life. But the Bible said, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? 
May I say to you this morning that those that are lost have been deceived. They have no eternal direction. Thirdly, we find that they're despondent. The Bible gives us an illustration of Mark 9, 14 through 29 of a man who had a son that was possessed. And he came to Christ and said that I uh, take him to by the water and he jumps into the water to drown himself. If he gets around the fire, he jumps into the fire to burn himself. He's suicidal. And by the way, just a quick passing note. There's six in the Bible that committed suicide and I remember some years ago as I served as a missionary chaplain at the Wyoming State Penitentiary, one of our men came to me and said, Preacher, if uh, someone commits suicide, they're condemned to hell, right? And they asked me some tough questions, and I went to study my Bible because the truth of the matter is it doesn't matter what men's doctrines are, men's opinion. All that really matters is what God says in His Holy Word. And I found that six men in the Bible, six people committed suicide, and only one of them were questionable as to whether they were saved or at least know God, a professed God. His name was Judas. All others were believers to some sort or some degree. And Christians struggle with suicide and things of this nature as much as the world does. Why? Because the devil has blinded our minds. He has set aside for those that are lost and blinded them of the hope and given them a, a false security and a false certainty of tomorrow. But many times with believers, he gives false security and false certainty when we get our heart and mind off of Christ and his divine book and his Bible. This man was helpless. He was hopeless. He could do nothing. In fact, when he healed him and he went into the room, the Bible proceeds to say that the disciples came to him and said, Lord, why couldn't we heal this man's son? And Jesus said, This kind cometh not forth but by prayer and fasting. My friend, may I say to you this morning that sin causes the soul to be despondent. I remember, and I'll not say much this morning, I don't want to bring reproach on the man of the ministry, but a man some years ago that I knew of that was a tremendous preacher, and he was from the country of Canada. And I remember when he was in a conference and he didn't show up and they sent some of the deacons of the church to try to find him in his hotel that he was staying in, and when they went in, he had committed suicide. Because some individuals he was having an illicit affair with was getting ready to expose him. Sin causes the heart to be despondent and so much more of the sinner who knows not Christ as their Savior. Finally, if I may give you this warning, it causes a departure. We heard about it in Sunday school this morning when King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26 and the scriptures is given us uh, various uh, background to the text and our, and our scriptures and the word of God. Agrippa said, Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian and you may be sitting here this morning, you've been preached to, you've been taught the Bible, you've been given gospel tracts and you have time and time again felt convicted in your heart and the Holy Spirit of God has given you ample opportunity. And yet you've departed from the truth. 
Wouldn't it be terrible to live life and take your family down a religious path only to get to heaven and find God say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. It's an hour of decision. And I'll close with this as if our musicians get ready for the invitation here. Some years ago, Randy and I was on a camping trip and we got lost in the mountains of Wyoming. I don't have time to go into all the story this morning, but as we got lost, it was in June. We were in a snowstorm, in a blizzard. And I remember we tried to find our way out. And I remember we went to the, up, found a ridge. The ceiling of the clouds lifted high enough. We could see there was a ridge toward the top of the mountain peak. And we hiked to the top, hoping we could look over the valley and find our way out. We walked around to a corner, and I made the decision to turn and go another direction, and it led back into the valley. And we finally decided I was going to have to go to the place we turned around and was going to get ready to build some type of a lean-to or something to survive for the night. I remember as we got to that place, my heart was fearful, and Randy made something, a statement that tore my heart out. He looked at me and he said, Daddy, he's only about five years old at the time, maybe six, he said, Daddy, he said, why don't we try a prayer? God can get us out of here. And I thought, you know, that's pretty good advice for somebody who's been preaching at that time 20-something years. We got on our knees and prayed and went around the next bend, and there it was. There was the lake, there was the trails, and there was only one trail that led back to our vehicle. My friend, let me say to you this morning, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, I challenge you, come to Christ. You say, but preacher, I've been baptized. I'm a member of a church. I'm religious. I was born into this church. It doesn't matter. I was preaching in Florida, and during the invitation, the music quit. And I looked down and the pianist had gone down, no reflection of Miss Sheila, but the pianist had gone down to the altar and I thought, well, she's just getting things right with God. She was getting things right with God. We found out after the service, she's getting saved. I preached in Dwight, Illinois and gave the invitation. I was having fellowship in the church, fellowship hall, and the pastor said, Brother Ellis, I'll be with you in a minute. I need to see a deacon. About a half hour, hour, or 50 minutes to an hour later, the deacon came out and hugged my neck. He said, Brother Ellis, he said, I've been a member in this church for X amount of years. He said, but I came God saved this morning. My friend, this morning, salvation is real. If you're here and you don't know Christ, you need to come this morning. If you're lost, you can be found. Fathers, we bow before you this morning. Bless, I pray, in this invitation. Use it for thy glory. Heads bowed and eyes closed, not a single soul looking this morning. Maybe you're here this morning, you have loved ones that's not saved and you haven't witnessed to them, you forgot what it means to be lost. Maybe you need to come this morning and the altar and pray and say, Lord, would you help me to be a witness and tell my friends about Christ? You lost your burden, why don't you come and get it back? If you're here this morning and say, Preacher, I'm not sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. Would you pray for me? Would you let me be known by a quick uplifted hand? Anywhere, Preacher, if I died, I would not go to heaven. I know I wouldn't go to heaven. God's been dealing with me for some time. Pray for me, preacher. Can I see the palm of your hand? Thank you. I see that hand. Others, quickly, quickly this morning, quickly. Preacher, pray for me. If I died, 
I wouldn't go to heaven. I know it. How many said to you this morning, real quick, say, Preacher, this morning I've got loved ones that are lost without Christ. And I'd ask you to pray for them. And pray for me that I'll gain my burden and renew my burden to pray for them. Would you let me know by an uplifted hand? Hands all over. Why don't we come to an altar this morning? Let's pray and then we'll have our invitation. Father, I pray your blessings on this invitation. Help us to draw an hand to God that he may draw an hand to us. For this one had raised her hand for salvation. May they come this morning and seek the Lord while he may be found. I ask these things in Christ's name. Head bowed and eyes closed.